Good morning, Elkdale. It's great to see you. Boy, it's a lot different from the last time I was here in September. When I was here in September, there was about four people in the sanctuary, um, and Corey was at home with COVID. And so uh, it's good to see all of you back. I just assumed that there was no one here because, well, because I was here that morning, but uh, you all stayed home. But uh, man, it's great to see you. And um, I also recognize this morning that Elkdale uh, is this, on this day a church in a sense that's grieving as well. And, and I'm sensitive to that this morning, not only grieving the, the, uh, the loss of your pastor, but also grieving the life of, of Bill Sexton. And I heard about that last night, and my heart has just uh, been burdened for you. I've been praying for your church this morning on my drive in, and will continue to do that. So I am sensitive to that this morning, okay? I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. Today, I want to take you through this marvelous book of prophecy. We're going to be in chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 14. Back in September when I was here, I preached to you on the living hope of God. This morning, I want to preach to you on the resilient love of God. I felt like this week, God wanted me to impress upon this wonderful church this message on the love of God and then when I got the email yesterday from Micah telling me about some things that happened in your church I knew this was the perfect message for the things that you're going through right now Hosea chapter 1 I want us to begin reading with verses 1 and 2 as kind of an introductory place and we'll continue looking at this book throughout would you do me a favor this morning, if you're physically able, would you stand in the reverence to the reading of God's holy and infallible and inerrant word? Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm, the, I'm reading from the New King James Version. You follow along in your translation. It says this, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Wow. And you thought your calling was tough. <laughs> Father God, this morning, I pray that you'd preach through me. And I pray the words of Scripture and the words of this message will be like a balm on the congregation here in Selma. I love you, Lord, and I think this morning is a good morning just to brag on the resilient love of our amazing God. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
book of Hosea is probably a book that many of you haven't read very often. Maybe some of you have never read the book of Hosea, but it's worthy of your attention. It's the story of a resilient and irrepressible love of a man by the name of Hosea to a bride that God told him to marry who was unfaithful. But even deeper, it is the story of the love of the irrepressible, resilient love of God to an unfaithful people. Now, I want you to notice again how this book begins, because it begins in a rather eye-catching way, don't you agree? When you read the other prophets, you see oftentimes that uh, God sets us up for essentially contextualizing the book. But here, we get right to the chase, don't we? Two verses in to this book, we find out that God is calling this mysterious prophet to an unusual circumstance, to say the least. Who is Hosea? We know virtually nothing about the prophet Hosea. We know his dad's name, father's name, Beery. We know the time in which he served because uh, the writer certainly gives us some context in relation to the kings that were serving both in Israel and Judah. So we know that as well. But we don't know much else about him. Now, the first words, likely, that Hosea had ever heard God, God speak to him as the prophet was quite concerning words, if you're Hosea. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament, God calls his prophets to do unusual things and puts them in unusual situations to point to a, 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 some type of prophecy or some type of troubling situation in regards to the sinfulness of his people. For example, Isaiah, God called him to walk about naked and barefoot for three years as a sign of the coming exile of Egypt and Cush in Isaiah 20. Ezekiel, God called him to lay on his side for over a year near a small model of Jerusalem under siege in Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5. He also forbid Ezekiel to mourn when his wife died. Jeremiah was told not to marry in Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 2. Oftentimes God calls his prophets into unusual situations to point to a rather troubling situation with his relationship with his people. And such is the case here. God calls Hosea into an all-in ministry. In calling Hosea to take a wife of ill repute, he was asking him to experience the same tragic hurt that he experienced with his people Israel. God called Hosea to run to a wife of ill repute to show that he is called to be faithful even though his bride would not be. Such is the case with God. That God is faithful in spite of his bride, his people. And maybe even worse, we read in chapter 1 that God 
called Hosea not only to marry a bride of ill repute, but also to have children with her. And, and his children would be named after situations in which God found Israel in. For example, if your child is a young man and he grows up to be a kickboxer, it's a pretty good deal if his name is called No Mercy. But if it's a young lady and her name means no mercy, that's probably not going to bode well for her in her high school years. And that's exactly the situation that we see here in Hosea. This vivid and provocative calling, however, gives us an amazing insight into the heart of God. And it should also give us immense and deep appreciation for his love for you and I. And furthermore, it should cause us to fall on our knees and utter gratitude that God would choose for himself a marriage with an imperfect people for which he would eventually make perfect. For the remainder of our time this morning, let me share with you three insights into the love of God that we find in the book of Hosea. First of all, in chapter 1, I want you to notice this. God's resilient Love loves the unlovable, loves the unlovable. Look back again at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 as I read. Look at specifically at verse number 2. It says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry. Now, friends, that is a provocative calling, and I want to just say this. I'm glad, for the most part, the children have left the room because that's a tough thing to say with children in the room. It's a provocative calling. It's a difficult calling. We find here that, that God is calling Hosea to choose for himself a wife that in the Hebrew literally means a wife of promiscuity, a wife of ill repute, and maybe even equally as bad, he called Hosea to marry not only a wife of ill repute, not only a wife of a prostitute, but her name's Gomer. That's even, that's double trouble, man. I mean, not only is she a wife of ill repute, she's down here at Wally's filling station, filling up cars with gas. Young people have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But trust me, you need to watch more of the Andy Griffith Show. You'll be better for it, amen? I, at least I am. Why would God do such a thing as call Hosea to marry such a woman? You see, Hosea would be faithful to his wife, though she continued to play the harlot throughout their marriage. She would run away. Hosea would just... Go get her and stay faithful to her, even though she was unfaithful. The marriage would be held together not because of two committed people, but because of one committed person who would choose to love the unlovable. And like Hosea, God is faithful to the unfaithful and loving toward the unloving. Hosea's choosing of a harlot is illustrative of the fact that God has also chosen an imperfect people who are prone to wonder as the old hymn says. 
You see, this story is very personal when I realize that I'm actually a part of this prophetic narrative. For I am the one who is prone to wander to the arms of worldly desires. And if you were to be honest, you would say the same thing about you. The story becomes intensely personal when we realize that you and I are Gomer in the story. We are the one who is unfaithful. Scripture repeatedly points us to the God who loves in spite of the fact that his creation, his bride, is unloving. Let me illustrate in the narrative of Scripture. For example, from the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and they ultimately chose the love of creature over the love of creator. He chose to create even though they would reject him. He would remove them from his presence, but he did not remove his resilient love from them. Like Gomer in the book of Hosea, his creation proved to be unfaithful and unlovable even today. His creatures still run in the arms of other lovers. However, the relationship between creator and creation was saved because of a love that refuses to quit. A resilient love from a resilient God. God chose for himself a nation of people, Israel. The Hebrews, who like Gomer would continually run into the arms of other lovers. Also, like Gomer of Israel, would eventually be enslaved and even God rescued them uh, and gave them a promised land. Even though all that would happen, they rejected his kingship and placed a crown on the head of Saul. They would go on to intermarry among unclean people and stain their land, complain about God's provision. They were idol worshipers, lover of pleasure, guilt, breaking every letter of the Mosaic law. Eventually, God would send his people into exile, but his love would go with them. Because God's love is bigger than Israel's failures. Christ would choose for himself disciples who would argue among themselves about who the greatest was among them, deny that they even knew him, continually struggle with doubts, struggling with anger and worry, and even at his crucifixion, most would desert him. Their focus was often on expanding the kingdom of Israel, not the kingdom of God. Even after Jesus defeated the grave, they would not believe and even hid in a room locked in fear. But yet he chose them because God chooses for himself those who are unlovable and imperfect. Paul says of this in 1 Corinthians 1.27 that God chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Just as he commanded Hosea to do, God has also chosen himself a tainted bride called the church of which I am a member. He chose for himself a bride, not a bride in a white dress, but rather a bride in black leather. For God does not choose to love us, his church, because we are worthy of this love, but because he has made us worthy of that love. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 13 through 12 clearly presents the state of the human heart in this way. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God, for they have all turned aside, they have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You see, church, God holds the marriage together, not because the bride is faithful and worthy, but because His love is so incredibly great. I still cannot get over the fact that God chose to love me and save me. I can't get over the fact that in a, on a June day in 1984 at Cottage Hill Baptist Church in, a, in Pleasant Grove, Alabama, on the Thursday of Vacation Bible School, that a sixth grader sat on the fourth pew on the right side of that sanctuary, and Reverend Roy Morgan stood right down here in front of the church and told us how to be saved. And that morning, I, as a sixth grade boy, gave my heart to Jesus Christ and I will never get over the fact that he saved me even though he knew that I would fail him time and time again I'll never get over the fact that on March the 2nd 1988 at Cottage Hill Baptist Church on a Wednesday night that God called me to preach And knowing that I would be unfaithful at times and unlovable most of the time, but yet he has used me for almost 30 years to stand in pulpits like this all over the state of Alabama proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can be saved without him. I'll never get over the fact that God chose to save me and called me to preach, though I'm as unlovable as anyone could ever be. That is because of the resilient love of a faithful God. That is the reason why I'm so passionate about Jesus. The reason why I stand behind pulpits to preach. The reason why I tell others about Him. Because I cannot get over the fact that the groom would so extravagantly love a tainted and unfaithful and unworthy bride like me and His church. The gospel begins with the love of God. Our gospel presentation usually begins with the sinfulness of man. But the reality is that the origin of the gospel is founded in the love of God. For His love chooses us before we choose Him. Loves us before we love Him. Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God who chose for Himself a blemished and wounded sheep like you and I. And I'm so thankful today that I don't have to become worthy of being loved. And God's love for me doesn't depend on me. I'm so thankful that His love for me is bigger than my biggest mistakes, deeper than my lowest moments, and brighter than my darkest decisions. And though I have ran in the arms of many lovers, just like Gomer, the long arms of the resilient lover, his name is Jesus, is ever available and his grip is always stronger. Friends, we have a God that shows us a resilient love because he loves the unlovable and I'm more unlovable than most. Secondly, 
God's resilient love redeems the unredeemable. I want you to turn with me to chapter 3. I want you to look here what happens in this narrative story here, this prophetic story of the book of Hosea. In chapter 3, it says this, beginning in verse number 1. Hosea writes, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to the other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her, verse 2, for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Notice again, chapter 3, how this chapter begins. Because God says to Hosea, go Again. Did you catch that? Go again. What's happened? Since chapter 1, when God originally told Hosea to go take for himself uh, Gomer as his wife, Gomer has done what she does. She's ran away. She's left. She's gone back to her old way of doing things. She's gone right back to the brothel. And it is in that situation that God says to Hosea again, guess what? That calling that I gave you is still good. Go back again and love a woman who is loved by a lover, and listen to this, and is committing adultery. That is in the present tense. God says to Hosea, she's doing that right now as I'm speaking to you. I want you to go right to where she's it is, right in the midst of her harlotry. Walk right into the room and redeem her again. What a difficult calling that is. He says there in chapter 3, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. And notice what it says. He says in verse number 2, chapter 3, so I bought her for myself. Oh, chapter 3 describes such a messed up marriage, doesn't it? A view into the depth of unfaithfulness to which Hosea's bride had slid. Gomer went back to her old ways. Hosea bought her. Notice what it says. I bought her back, indicating just how far his wife had slid. She had either sold, been sold back into slavery or had married another man for which Hosea had to purchase his own wife back. Can you imagine anything more humiliating than that? Having to pull out money and purchase your own wife. And the Hebrew word there bought gives us the idea that he had to haggle on the price. Like you're buying a used car. It's a shameful 
seen to say the least. Imagine the humiliation and shame involved in that transaction. Verse 3 of that chapter. Hosea is calling his wife back into relationship with him. And it would be a relationship based on purity within the marriage. Verse, uh, chapter 3 reveals a marriage covenant renewal. You see, though Hosea had been faithful, he bore the price for redeeming her. For God said to Hosea, go redeem your bride. Purchase her back from slavery. Listen to me, church. 2,000 years ago, the same thing must have happened. For what God said to Hosea in chapter 3, at some point God said to His only Son, when He looked at Jesus and said this, Go again and redeem the bride. And He did. Purchase her from the slavery of sin. Redeem her through your own blood. And through the cross, God purchased His church and redeemed us back. In this, Paul says, in, or John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God has demonstrated His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1, 19-22, that it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross and you. Can't you imagine Paul pointing his finger at you? He says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Paul would go on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a picture. I want to tell you, friends, as bad as it is, as difficult it is to read chapter 3, to know that God would say to Hosea, I want you to go into the brothel. I want you to go in the room in which she's being unfaithful. I want you to pull out your wallet and haggle with a price and pay for your own wife that belongs to you and redeem her back, purchase her back. As difficult as that is, it's even more difficult when I realize that Jesus Christ did the same for me when I was in the midst of my sin, when I was out there cheating on Him, when I was in the midst of immorality, when I was as low as I could be, I'm telling you, the Father said to the Son, you go redeem that boy, you go get him out of that house, you go get him out of that sinfulness, because my love for Him has never changed. I still love Him like I do, and I will never stop loving Him. I'm so grateful today. 
That God went in the midst of my sinful lifestyle, right where I was being immoral, and redeemed me out of that life and took me, I'm telling you, uh, from a place of spiritual poverty right here to this pulpit to proclaim that God is a resilient lover. And I need him to be a resilient lover. We can picture in Hosea 3 the groom seeking an unfaithful bride. Passionately pursuing the one he loves. Finding her in the worst places. Doing the worst things. But redeeming and restoring her as his bride. Friends, I want to remind you today. That God's resilient love seeks you. Finds you. Purchases you. And saves you. And though the bride was unfaithful, the groom was faithful. Though the marriage covenant had been broken, it would not be shattered because of the resilient love of the groom. We, you and I, the church, we are not a perfect people, but a people that he would make perfect through buying and redeeming us back because of Calvary's cross. He has placed his bride once again in a place of purity. I'm telling you, he's taken off the black leather and put on you and I a beautiful white dress. And it's called the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When he saved us, he disrobed us of that worldly adornment and he's placed us in a place of purity again. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that you and I might could become the righteousness of God. God's resilient love loves the unlovable, redeems the unredeemable. But third, and I'm closing here, God's resilient love is faithful to the unfaithful. I want you to go to the very end of Hosea. And I want you to notice in chapter 14, God's words to his people. I like a story that ends well, don't you? This story ends well. God's people would eventually be taken into exile, punished for their sin. But God would not leave them there, for God would bring them back. And chapter 14 points to that day. I want you to notice in verses 4 through 7 what it says. Listen to the promise. God says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. For he shall grow like the lily. And lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree. And his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under his shadow shall return. For they shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. That's a beautiful picture of restoration. It's a beautiful thought. That God does not leave us in our sin, but rather points to a day when everything will be okay. And the reason for that is not because you and I are deserving of that, not because we're, we're going to stay faithful, but rather because He is the one who is faithful. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14 of that last chapter of Hosea, God is calling His people back into a relationship with Him. They will be exiled. But if they will return to him, the promises are incredible. 
God says within this uh, text, he says, I will heal them. I will love them freely. And the picture he gives here is one of great prosperity. They will flourish as a nation under his love. These verses are amazing because they are a reminder that even though we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Though we run away, he pursues us. Though we're unredeemable, he redeems us. And he stays with us. And he remains with us. You see, God doesn't walk away from me when I'm unfaithful. God holds me tighter. When I'm unlovable. God doesn't turn his back from me. Rather, God grips my hand with a never loosening grip. Think about the narrative of Scripture. How true it is that we have a God who pursues, redeems us, and stays and remains with us. With Adam and Eve, even after the rejection of God in the garden, He came back to them, didn't He? He walked back into that garden. He called them out by name. And though he would take them out of Eden, he refused to destroy them. And he did not give up on them. As a matter of fact, he walked back into the dreadful scene. Even while the serpent was still slithering among them. And pointed to Calvary in Genesis 3.15. As he says to Satan, you will bruise his heel. But he will smash your head. Speaking of Jesus. You see, he is faithful. He is a faithful God who comes back and stays and remains. With the Jews, though he would send them into Assyria and Babylon, he would eventually bring them back to the promised land and there he would remain with them because he is a faithful God who always comes back and always stays and always remains. Though the world would reject him, the New Testament reveals the story of a creator who came back to his creation in flesh through Jesus and walked among his own because he is a God who always comes back and always stays and always remains just as Hosea did with an unfaithful bride. With the disciples, Jesus, though they were unfaithful, though they would doubt, though they were filled with pride, though they did not have a purely kingdom focus, Jesus would die for them, defeat the grave, and came back to them to restore them because he is a faithful God who always comes back and he always stays and he always remains. We look at this world and we think sometimes it is too far gone. It's becoming increasingly evil and terrible. And we think this world is unredeemable. Why does God continue to love us in the midst of all the stuff that we do, in the midst of the mess that we have made. When I look at all that's going on in this corrupt world and all that the bride, his church has become, I just shudder. But I want to tell you something. 
just because God is a resilient lover in spite of the fact that we are unfaithful and no matter how bad of a mess this world is, I'm telling you this, one day the sky will break open and the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised and we who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and Jesus at that moment will make everything right that is wrong. Why? Because he is a God who always comes back and he always stays with us and he always remains. In this marriage between the bride, his church, and the groom, Christ, there is but one faithful to the covenant and it ain't me. It's him. Just as Hosea chose, pursued, and redeemed an unfaithful bride, so too does Jesus. Elkdale, listen. His love for you is greater than you could possibly imagine. We are the prodigal in the mud. He is the father holding a robe and a crown. Perhaps it can be said that the biggest problem many churches have today is that they have forgotten the price that was paid to redeem them and the depth of love it took to make it all possible. One of my favorite songs was penned in 1995 by a guy by the name of Stuart Townen. When he sat down overwhelmed one night by the amazing, resilient love of God, he grabbed a pen and a paper and he wrote these words. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son. To make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory How great! The Father's love for us. Soren Kierkegaard was a philosopher who wrote a marvelous book called Works of Love. And in that book, as the book closes, as he thinks about the love of God, he describes a scene. And he takes his readers to their own deathbed. He says, to fully understand the love of God, imagine yourself in the last stages of your life. And you're laying in that bed, too weak to hardly move a muscle. He said, and imagine that first of all, your friends come into that room. Friends you've known your whole life. And they sit with you and you reminisce together about the good times. And you knew, these friends have loved me to the end. He says, but eventually those friends have to get up. 
and they have to leave you. He said, then imagine that your children come into that room and your children hug you and hold your hand and talk about the good times that you've had with them and what a great loving father or mother that you were to them. And with tears in their eyes, they eventually have to let go of your hand and they eventually have to leave your side. He says, then imagine your spouse, your spouse of 50-something years who comes in and embraces you and remembers the good times and thanks you for being a faithful spouse, for loving them. He said, and after a long time, eventually even your spouse, though they love you, have to walk away. And then imagine Jesus walking in and holding your hand. And even as your eyes close in death, He loves you, but He doesn't walk away. He remains to the end. Holding your hand all the way to glory. And that, my dear friends, is an illustration of the love of Jesus. A resilient love. You know why? Because Jesus loves and remains and stays to the end. He's faithful. He's faithful even though you're not. He's lo- he loves even though we're not very lovable. He redeems, even though I'm not very redeemable. Why? Why? Because that's who He is. He loves to the end. John 13, 1, John describes the actions of Jesus on the night of the cross. He says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, John says. Let me ask you a question as I close. Do you know the resilient love of God through Jesus Christ? Because see, Once you know that love, you'll commit your life to it. Friends, you and I are unlovable, just like Gomer in the story. You and I cheat on our groom all the time. But yet, he stays faithful to the covenant. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? So go to the Lord in prayer. I wonder today, has there been a time that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and laid claim on that type of love? I just have a feeling some of you this morning need to be reminded of how much He loves you. You say, oh, Brother Kevin, I'm unlovable. 
Oh, you have no idea some of the things I've done in my life. Maybe. But don't underestimate the depth of our Father's love. Don't you dare underestimate. If Hosea could love an unfaithful bride, if Hosea could walk right into the room of harlotry and redeem, I'm pretty sure that God can do the same thing in your life as well. You say, oh, I'm unredeemable. (laughs) If you believe that, you don't know my God. This morning, He can save you. If you've never been saved before, or you're just not sure, or you've got questions, when we give this invitation, JB's going to be standing right here in front of this church. I want you to come take him by the hand and say, Brother, I want to know a love like that. Today, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Today, I want to be redeemed from my life that I'm living. You come and do that today. Others, you might just want to come to this altar and just spend some time with the Father and thank Him that He is a God who loves And his love stays and his love remains. We ought to be grateful for that. We ought to live our lives as if it's true. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'm going to pray and after I pray, Micah's going to lead us in worship. And you come.